Amen. All right, it's good to see you all today, and uh, let me just say how much uh, I appreciate the spirit here in this church. Uh, it's very evident that God is at work here, and uh, I love the way the choir got us started, and uh, just focusing on being at the feet of Jesus, and then, uh, man, I love this group up here. You guys, man, y'all should get a bus and take it on the road or something. Y'all are, y'all are good. <clears throat> Well, I also just want to uh, say uh, how much I appreciate the opportunity to come back and be here with you. I was here in July. You know what they say about visiting preachers, that uh, they just blow in, blow up, and blow out. And uh, sometimes we, we have that tendency, but I appreciate the fact you didn't blow me off and uh, you invited me to come back and be with you today, and, and that's my privilege. Uh, if you would, just uh, finding your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, while you are looking in your Bibles uh, for that passage of Scripture, uh, one of my favorites, by the way, that whole section between Ephesians 3 and leading up right into 4, if, if I could only have one little section of Scripture, I think that's what I would have with me all the time. But uh, as you're finding Ephesians 4, I, I want to just begin by asking you one simple question. Now, don't raise your hand and answer out loud, all right? but I want you just to think about this question right here. And it's simply this, why did you come to church this morning? Why did you come to church this morning? Now, I know some people, they, they come because the preacher's good looking, at least when David Wheeler's here, all right? Some come because uh, you like the social uh, parts and aspects of it, and that's good, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, some, because you come because your mama made you, and some of you have been coming for 50 years because your mama made you, all right? Um, but why did you come to church? I mean, let me just put it this way. What did you hope to get out of it? Why did you set the alarm? Why did you get up? Hopefully you took a shower, got dressed. Why did you show up to church this morning? You had a lot of other options. Why not go to the lake? To the golf course, finish up those chores around the uh, house that need to be done. Got to be honest with you, sometimes preachers, they have the same considerations, same questions. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the preacher not too long ago that uh, he lived right by a golf course. And every Sunday morning he had to drive by the golf course to get to church. And for some reason, just when he would drive by the golf course, it looked so much more inviting and pristine and peaceful than it did on Saturday or Monday. And so he had this secret desire always to just to go out to the golf course on some Sunday morning, but he knew he couldn't. He needed to be at church. But finally, one Sunday morning, he was driving by, it got the best of him. And uh, he pulled into the place. He called the assistant pastor and he said, Look, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to be there. And, uh, and so he hung up the phone and he walked up to the first tee, put his ball down, and he first shot. He hit a hole in one. It got better. Second shot. He hit the longest, farthest, straightest drive he had ever hit in his life. And his very next shot, he hit in the hole for a double eagle or for an eagle. He got to the third hole. He hit another long drive. It was a par five. He hit another one. And it went in for a double eagle. Well, by this time, up in heaven, St. Peter, who just couldn't bear it any longer. He left where he was. He got up and he walked up to God. He says, God, 
I've got a problem here. He said, well, what's wrong, Peter? He said, well, you know the pastor there, all right? He lied, he's skipping church, and he's enjoying this whole thing. I think you ought to be punishing him. God looked at Peter and said, well, Peter, I am punishing him. Peter looked back at him and said, punishing him? He's had a hole-in-one, an eagle, and a double eagle. How in the world are you punishing him? He looked back at Peter and said, who's he going to tell? Why did you come to church this morning? I'm a very practical person. I hope you are. I want to be wondering, want to be asking the question after all the studying and the talking and the praying you did in Sunday school. After all the singing and the preaching and this worship service, what difference is it going to make? What difference is it going to make? You know, the Apostle Paul was the same way. He was a very extremely practical uh, in the way that he wrote his letters. You find as you look in the letters that Paul wrote that they always begin very theological and then they end very practical. There's always a great deal of important, vital information, but it always ends from very practical application. And when we come to our text today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we are right in the very pivot point between the theological and the practical, between the information and the application, when he begins in Ephesians 4, verse 1 with these words, I therefore... Now, you've probably heard this said before, but anytime you're reading the Bible and you read the word therefore, you're supposed to stop and ask the question, what's it therefore? What does it mean? In this case, what Paul is saying is, in light of everything I've said so far, in light of all the theology, in light of all the information, do something. Do something with it. Today I want to talk with you about a very practical, excuse me, a very theologically rich but very practically significant subject. That if you get it and then apply it, I promise you it will change every minute of every day this week and the rest of your life forever. Today's message is entitled, Walk the Walk. You see, I'm getting ready to talk the talk. But my prayer is that after I talk the talk, we'd all leave ready to walk the walk. Otherwise, if you're not prepared after I talk the talk to walk the walk, otherwise I suggest you walk on out and go to the lake or the golf course or get started on those chores. So lest we waste any more time at church, Let's pray together. And I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you, I want to challenge you to pray something like this to the Lord. Just in the quietness of this moment, your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you lifting up your heart to the Lord and ask this first question, Lord, who do you want me to be? Lord, who do you want me to be? And then, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Lord, who do you want me to be? What, you want, what do you want me to do? And then, Lord, I promise when you show me who you want me to be and what you want me to do, I commit right now to following through. Lord, show us this morning who you want us to be, what you want us to do, and then help us as we commit to following through. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, we've already heard a couple times uh, during the announcement time and during the prayer time and the worship time what a vitally significant period of time in which we live. And here's why today's message is so important. Paul begins in this transition, moving from the theological to the practical. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Now, this is not filler material. Paul just wasn't, wasn't trying to do an assignment. He needed to add an extra word so he get the number of words in the, the assignment. This is important. Paul was letting everyone know exactly where he was what was going on in his life, what God had asked of him. And he said this, I, Paul, the prisoner. You know what that needs to let us know? This is something very serious. Here he is, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. What it tells us is that he was so devoted to Christ that prison characterized his life. It didn't matter how hard it might be. How difficult it might seem, Paul understood <clears throat> that prison was worth following Jesus. This was a solemn, serious occasion, and here Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, is beseeching, he is begging, he is pleading, he is imploring because people to listen to what he has to say because things are serious. Things are very serious, folks, in our day globally, whether it's the jihadists in the Middle East or the refugees in Europe or the communists in North Korea. Our world is in a tinderbox that's about to explode. We've already heard about it, and we know our, our, it's a serious thing nationally. We are torn and divided. We're going bankers, bonkers while we're going bankrupt and our nation desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We look at our churches and, and boy, what a wonderful thing it is to see so many of you here gathered. And, and, I, and I'm encouraged at uh, what David, uh, Dr. Wheeler has been sharing of how uh, he's appreciated so much the ministry that he's been able to give to you and the openness you're receiving. But the fact of the matter is, you look across, I, listen, there were more cars in the Lowe's parking lot this morning when I drove by than in the parking lot here. That ought to tell us something. Our churches are largely ineffective. I mean, we live in the South where there's churches galore, but are we making a difference? Are we making an impact? It's a serious situation. Our nation needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I think about our families. Everyone here is dressed up so nice. Everyone's looking so good and they're smiling. Uh, if you're still awake, at least you're smiling. And, uh, but we know the reality is our families are torn and divided and they're hurting 
and their hardships and their difficulties. Our families need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know for many of you, things are very serious personally. Some of you are hurting, confused, facing, facing health issues, faith, facing uh, harms and hurts. Some others have inflicted on you. Some you've inflicted on yourself. The bottom line is, folks, this is a serious, serious time. And Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, is beseeching us. This morning, he's beseeching us to walk. The word walk in that verse there simply refers to your way of life, to your conduct, to the direction, to the entire course of life. And here, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, is begging, he's beseeching us in light of the serious situation in our world, in our nation, in our churches, in our families, in our own personal lives. He's beseeching us to walk in four particular ways. And I'm telling you this morning, if you will take these and begin to apply them to your life, God will change and transform you, your family, this church, this community, and our nation forever. Here are the four keys to walking the walk. Key number one is to walk worthy. It's right there in the first verse. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You see, once you've been saved, you've been called to walk worthy. Once you've been saved, you've been challenged to walk worthy. The word worthy there is, is a word that was used back in those days uh, for the thing that would balance out the scales. Uh, you, I, I think there are still a few country stores uh, out in Franklin County or maybe even in Rocky Mount. I can remember some of those country stores growing up in Roanoke County where I live. We you go into the store, you know, and they still sold things by weight. And uh, there'd be the, the scales, and they would put a certain weight on this side, and then they'd put the produce or whatever on this side. And the idea there is that uh, they would balance out. They would balance out. And, and what Paul is saying to us here is that, um, that walking worthy is living up to the ex expectations of being a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. He says it over in chapter 4, verse 17. He said, I say you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, don't go back to the way it was, but you've been called. You have been made a child of God. You have become a follower of Jesus. And I want you to live your life, to arrange your life, to do it in such a way that you measure up to the calling with which you've been called. So what are those expectations of the worthy walk? They're, they're all throughout the first three chapters. I just want to point out three of them to us. The first expectation is that we would walk like God's child. Walk like God's child. Look back in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 where Paul begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Think about this. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, get this, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. 
Now, I know if you turn on the TV or, you, uh, or maybe read some editorial in the newspaper or you maybe just you're talking and somebody, you may hear a word or a phrase like this, well, we're just all God's children. Now, there is an element of truth in that in that we were all created and we were all made and God controlled the fact that we all came into existence. But folks... On the authority of God's word, I'm here to tell you today, we are not all God's children. In fact, some of the most religious people to ever walk the face of this planet were those called the Pharisees. And Jesus looked at those religious people who had everything right on the outside. He looked at them and he said, you are of your father, the devil. You see, the bottom line is, it's not very popular to say, it's not very even cool to think about. I'm about to become a grandfather, by the way, in December. I'm really excited about that. Um, But, you know, the reality is every little baby that comes into this world comes in as a child of the devil. Those of you who have two-year-olds, you'll agree with that, okay? The reality is they came in this world wanting their way, wanting what's best for them. Wanting to go their way. And here Paul says, for all the children of the devil, for all who were born that way, for all who have been living that way, Jesus came for the express purpose of adopting you out of the family of Satan and putting you into the family of God. Think about that. Now think about the implications of that. You're no longer a child of Satan, you're a child of God. You're no longer under the power of Satan, you now possess the power of God. You're no longer walking in the darkness, you're able to walk in the light. You, as a child of the king, have royalty, have authority, and have power. And now Paul's saying, live like it. Live like you are a child of the king. Whenever I read this and think about it, I I can't help but... Getting in, my pic- getting in my mind a picture of this. I grew up in Roanoke and, uh, and had the opportunity a number of times to be downtown and around those areas. And One of the saddest things you ever see would be people living on the street. And I remember one time walking past an area back in a back alley and I looked back and there was in the back alley a cardboard box with a young maybe 12, 13, 14-year-old-looking boy, dirty clothes, disheveled, shoes that looked like they were just torn apart to shreds, living, sleeping, out in the rain, the cold, the wind, in a cardboard box. And, And as I think about that, then I have this picture in my mind. of One day, the richest man in town, walking down the road and seeing a young boy like that living in the cardboard box, stopping, going and getting him, bringing him, pulling him out of that box and says, come with me. He stops off on the way and buys him the biggest Happy Meal at McDonald's you could ever get. He buys him, gets the toy, then he takes him to the candy shop and loads him up with stuff. Then he takes him to the clothing shop and he buys him all the clothes he wants. He brings him back to his big mansion. He puts him in the mansion. He walks him into this room. He comes in the room and there it is, the big screen TV. 
the Xbox, a nice big comfortable king-size bed. He's got all the toys, all the games, all the clothes, everything you can imagine. He gives him everything. He hugs on him. He loves him. And at the end of the and at the end of the evening, he takes him and he picks him up and he puts him in the bed. He tucks him in. He leaves the nightlight on. There's a little fire going in the fireplace there. And everything is just wonderful. And he walks out of the room. He closes the door. And as he does, the boy pulls the covers back, gets out of bed, takes off the nice pajamas that the man had bought him, Puts on his raggedy old clothes, his torn to shred shoes, slips out the window, goes back down to that dark alley, gets into the cardboard box, and curls up to go to sleep. You say, that would be insanity. Can I tell you what's even more insane? That you and I, who have been adopted into the family of God and given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Trump's the big screen, the Xbox, the clothes, the toys, the candy, and everything else. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why in the world do we go back to the trash of this world, to the deceit of self, and living like Satan's child? Walk worthy like God's child. Walk worthy like a new man. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In verse, uh, Ephesians 4 verses 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. You should no longer live your life as the rest of the Gentiles do. Uh, In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Down to verse 22. That you put off concerning your former, former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to its lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. Here's the bottom line. We've been made a new creation in Christ. And you are better than the world. You don't have to accept the world's low standards. You don't have to play with the world's cheap imitations. You don't have to go in its seductive ways. You have been made a new person in Christ. And you no longer have to go the old way. You can go the new way. We've been called to walk the worthy walk. Like God's child. Like a new man. And ultimately like Jesus himself. Look at chapter 3 verse 14. Paul is praying for these people as he's about to make this transition and tell them how they're going to live, how they should live, how they can live. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit and his inner man. So uh, God's strength, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the depth of height, to know the love of Christ with patches and knowledge. Okay? Christ's strength, Christ's love. And then listen to these words that absolutely blow my mind every time I read them. The end of verse 19. All of this provided to you, provided to us, 
that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Filled your own life with everything that God has provided, made available, and wants you to have. You can be filled with the fullness of God. This is the worthy walk. Adopted as God's child. Changed to be a new person. To live, to talk, and to walk just like Jesus. That in the words of chapter 4, verse 13, that we would be conformed, that we would live up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's the key to the worthy walk. One word you can walk I hear with, it's the word holiness. To be separate, to be apart, to be different, to be Christ-like. Now I want to tell you about this word holiness. You don't become a child of God or a new person by living holy. You don't become this way by living holy. You live holy because you are a child of God and a new person. You don't do something to become something. You've been made something so you live in a certain way. You've been made holy by God. So live holy like God. Some of you are wondering, okay, so why is it such a struggle? Why is it so hard if I've been made holy to live holy? Well, two possible alternatives, two possible solutions, two possible answers to that question. Answer number one, I just need to be honest with you, you may be struggling To live holy because you've never been made holy in the first place. I'm not saying you haven't joined a church. I'm not saying you're not trying to do some good things. But some can't live like a child of God because they've never been adopted into the family of God. Some are living more like the old man because they've not been made a new man. Some are walking in darkness because they've never been brought into the light. Some are living in spiritual death because they've never been born again into spiritual life. If you're not walking worthy, if you find it a constant struggle and a complete failure in your life, ask the question, I'm not here suggesting I don't want anyone to doubt where they are in their relationship with God. But I want every one of us to examine whether or not we are truly walking in the faith. If you've never become a child of God, turn from your old way and trust Jesus to save you. And to make you holy and then to help you walk worthy. For those who have been made a child of God, we still still struggle We still go through hard times. There's still that old man that's pulling us. So the second answer to the question is the reason for the reason it's such a struggle is many times we're not walking worthy because of this second key to the the worthy walk is because we're not walking lowly. Look at it in verse 2. 
I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness. Now the words there uh, in the original language could mean several different things. Uh, the best translation I could come up with is simply this. It, it references the idea of a brokenness, of a sense of humility. We walk humbly. You see, the exalted position of a child of God is no reason for pride. The exalted position of being a child of God, a new person, is every occasion for our personal humility. Because we can never walk worthy except by the grace of God. In fact, this word lowliness there that is oftentimes translated humility, we find that there is no actual Greek word in all the secular Greek literature for this. They were so proud and arrogant, the Greeks, and in that Roman culture that actually this word had to be developed by Christians. This idea of the fact that we would put ourselves under God's rulership and under God's leadership. We get that part. But there was an even greater connotation. It's not just speaking of a humility towards God, but also a humility towards one another. And the reason this is so important is another passage of Scripture that it scares me and it blows my mind at the same time. It scares me when the Bible says this. Get this. That God resists the proud. You're struggling to walk the worthy walk? Are you struggling to live up to what it means to be a child of God? To be a new creation in Christ? To live out in joy what it means to possess all the fullness of God? Are you struggling with that? Could it be? Because God is resisting your pride. It may be pride towards Him. Hey God, Thanks for saving me. I got it from here. I'll take over. Or it could be pride towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that's my parking place. I'll park there. I want the temperature in our, room, in our bedroom to be this temperature. I don't care what you want. I want, I want, I want, and I'm not too concerned about what you want. Could God be resisting you? Because you're resistant to looking out for the interest of others before yourself. It's a frightening thing to think that God may be resisting you. <clears throat> but let me tell you the most encouraging thing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opens his hand when we humble ourselves before him and others. And he says, here it is. Grace. The power to be what I want you to be and then to do what I want you to do. The key to low walking is brokenness. It's giving up our rights to God, to our spouse, to our family, to our fellow church members, to our employers, to our employees. Brokenness before God and brokenness before our brothers and sisters in Christ. Walk worthy, walk low, and then walk long. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Walking long simply means this, don't quit. It's perseverance. It's pushing through. 
It's making a decision and a determination that I will never, ever quit on God. Deciding today that you will never throw in the spiritual towel. You say, Robert, I'm at church on Sunday morning. Of course, I'm never going to throw in the spiritual towel. Let me just ask you to stop and think right now. In the last year, in the last two, in the last three, just think of one Christian who's no longer in church, who's no longer walking with the Lord, who's no longer pushing through and being all God wants them to be and doing all He wants them to do. You know what? They probably said the same thing. I'll never quit. I'll never give up on God. You know what? They didn't wake up one morning and just decide, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. I'm going to throw in the spiritual towel. You know how it started? They missed one quiet time. They missed one prayer time. They skipped one Sunday school class or one worship service. Then they turned on one TV program. They popped in one video. They clicked on one wrong website. They touched one person in the wrong way. They told one more lie. And all of a sudden, they had quit. And they never realized it. It's a daily decision that I'm going to walk worthy today. And I'm going to walk low today. And God will help me. Walking long with God. As perseverance. Many of you know the story of Liberty University. Dr. Jerry Falwell founded it in 1971. For about the first 10 years, things were great. Uh, maybe even a little more time than that. But during the late 80s and early 90s, you know the hardships, the difficulties, the trials, the financial setbacks, and all the things that began to happen. And, uh, and literally the stories are legion how from some days uh, at the end of the week, they didn't know how they were going to make payroll. They didn't know how all these things were going to happen, how the bills are going to pay. Are they going to get shut down and all these things? And so how is it today? Liberty University is now reaching over 100,000 students. $1 billion in endowment. When just a few short years ago, everything was going south. And there was no, no hope in sight. It was simply this. It was the vision, it was the passion, it was the determination of Dr. Falwell Sr. who made this famous quote that just about every person at Liberty that's been there anytime can tell you, and it's simply this. Never, 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 never give up. Never Stop. The Christian walk is not a sprint. It's a marathon race. It's hard. It's difficult. It's grueling. And that's why this final key is so absolutely important. Because you will not be able to walk worthy. You will not be able to walk low. You will not be able to walk long. Unless you also are willing, as members of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, to walk together, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Hey, in case you didn't know it, 
That's why you came to church this morning. You could have stayed at home and watched some TV preacher. You could have been riding down the road listening to a podcast. Okay? But God brought you together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ because you all have the same goal, to walk worthy together. By the way, that's the definition of unity, is having the same goal. It's not uniform, okay? It's not everyone looks alike. It's not everyone thinks alike. It's not everyone likes the same music or the same kind of preaching or whatever. Unity is we have the same goal, is that we're walking worthy, that we're walking low, striving together with the same attitude of brokenness, walking long, striving together with the same determination to keep going and to never quit. And the way that you practically walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ is this key word. It's accountability. Unity is important. Yes, we have the same goal. Transparency is important. That we have the main same mindset of humility, of brokenness, of openness before each other. But accountability covers it all. Because you are striving together. You know, some people say, well, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to God and no one else. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. It's a trap of Satan. If you say you're only accountable to God and you're not accountable to any human being, let me tell you, you are not accountable to anyone. Because God's not going to tap you on the shoulder on Sunday morning and say, come on, honey, let's go to church. God's not going to, when you get to church, say, hey, how was your quiet time this week? How are you doing spiritually? God's not even going to be the one who, uh, who helps you walk through a hard and difficult time by bringing you chicken noodle soup uh, or a casserole uh, when you go through a hard time in your life. God is going to use the people in the pews right beside you to accomplish that and to do that. And the reason you come together as a church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and even throughout the week is so that you can encourage and build up and help each other walk worthy, walk lowly. Walk long by walking together. See, times are serious. This Christian life is hard. You need each other to do it. So here's a two-part takeaway as we wrap up. Some of you, and I don't have anybody in mind, I don't, I don't know anybody in this church other than few acquaintances I briefly made just a moment ago. Some of you, you know it deep down. You can't walk worthy because you've never been made worthy in the first place. You've never been born again. You've never passed from death into life. You've never come out of the darkness into the light. In the biblical terms, you never repented. That is turned away from your sin and yourself and your own way. 
and put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you from sin, to save you from self, to save you from your own way, and to make you a child of God, to make you a new man, a new person in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to sing a closing hymn of invitation. And if you have never passed from death to life, you've never been made worthy, which only God can do, then I'm going to invite you to come. And someone's going to take an open Bible, and they're just going to show you how you can be made worthy by God and then have available to you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. To pass from death to life so that you have the opportunity to be filled with all the fullness of God. The second takeaway is simply this. We struggle every day to walk worthy, don't we? It is hard. It is difficult. There's the old man fighting against us. There's that pull the tug to go back to the old way. But if we're going to walk worthy, then we first need to humble ourselves before God and before men. And some need to come to this altar as a public act of humiliation before God and confess their sins to the Lord. I'm going to even suggest there may be some in here before that invitation song ends. You know you've sinned against another brother or sister in Christ or a spouse or a parent or a child and you need to go to them and you need to make it right. To walk worthy requires you to walk low. And then to humble yourselves before your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, you know what? I need help. I'm here to help you, okay, but I need you to help me and make a decision that you are going to be a part of the solution to the serious concerns this nation, this community, this church, and that every one of us have in our own lives. To walk worthy. To walk low. To walk long. By walking together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed to Worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. And simply, I think the song says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth are going to grow strangely dim. And the light of his glory and grace. Quietly, reverently before the Lord. You allow him to respond. I'm right down front. If I can serve you, if I can help you, please come. But the altar is open for you to deal with, to do business with God.